Hey guys, welcome to the Self Evident Podcast. I'm Mike. You may notice Massey is not here today. He has some uh, church duties he's got to take care of, but you're going to be along for the ride with me. Saturday o'clock. Saturday o'clock. Croft, we're off to a good start. It's Saturday o'clock, 9 a.m. Grab your coffees. Obviously, I need one. You heard the sip. It's time to go. So, Let's get all the stuff out of the way. Don't forget to check out our website, theselfevidenttruth.com. Don't forget to check out our social media pages. We are actually now on Getter, G-E-T-T-R.com. Go ahead, check us out there. A little bit more personal. Uh, we have all the major podcast platforms. Subscribe, click a link. Let us know where you're from. Let us know the topics you want us to talk about because we're always looking for more topics, right? We're always wondering, hey, what are you guys thinking about? What do you guys want to talk about? And be sure to throw some love into the comments. Let me know what you're thinking, how you're doing, what's new in life. Uh, new York. How is New York, Andrew? Um, Andrew is from New York. I'm curious how everything's going there, uh, especially with the lockdowns and the, the restrictions and the vaccines and all of that. And hey, have you noticed that England all of a sudden decided they're done now? They did say that the Plan B regulations and all of that would expire on the 26th, but there seemed to be this quick turnabout where Johnson all of a sudden said, okay, we're done. Game over. We're good. COVID's been defeated. I would not be surprised to see that happen in America. Uh, I was talking to somebody about this today. Now there seems to be a winding down of things. The CDC is redefining things. They're they're becoming more selective in how they give you the data. And one of the problems that I'm seeing with this is there's the the narrative is shifting. And what you may notice is Biden has a state of the union address coming up and boy wouldn't it be convenient for him to come out and say we've beaten COVID, we've won. Mission accomplished. And so that's, watch for that. Don't be surprised. Now, the funny thing is, now they're coming out and saying the same exact stuff we've been saying for how many years now? Two years plus. Uh, we've been saying this all along, and yet now finally they're getting on board. And there's actually a doctor who got fired for spreading misinformation who's now suing because now the CDC is <laughs> saying exactly what the doctor was saying all along. Uh Shelly, Ohio, cold, done with the COVID crap. Me too, me too. It's not cold here, sorry, Shelly, but you are more than welcome to come on down to Florida, enjoy some sun with us, right? Um, yes, we're gonna keep an eye on his speech. It will be a little bit uh, interesting to say the least. He'll get through it, right? Croft, you think he'll get through it? Let's hope. <laughs> so that being said, um, he has not had a very good couple of weeks, and we're going to cover one of those things. But first, I want to do just a quick recap of the Truth to Power conference. If you were not in the area or not able to catch it, don't worry. We will be putting it online on Teachable so you can catch all of it. You need to. That It's not even like shameless plug promotion. It is a, you need to catch this. I don't know how many people I talked to afterwards who were like, this totally changed my perspective. This is not just another conference. The, we, we had people who came to us and said, I honestly thought it was just going to be another thing. And you know, I came here just to kind of support you guys, but like life-changing. 
And and that I'm not exaggerating. They really were people who were like totally blew me away. Did not expect what I got. You are going to get historical information. You're going to get taught new principles, new mindsets. You're going to get motivated. You're going to get the real world application, the real world steps in order to be able to run for office or do what you feel called to do. Um, but we do have, Croft, do you have the, the slideshow stuff? No. Okay. So we're going to put that up on next week. Um, I think we've, we've got stuff that we can show you of from the, the event. It was really good. It was enjoyable. Check it out as soon as we get it online. I think that's that's a cool plug. So let's get into the vaccine mandates because there are always vaccine mandates. But a judge actually defended federal employees, which I'm kind of surprised that the courts are starting to decide that maybe the administration shouldn't be given this much leeway. U.S. District Judge Jeffrey Brown ruled that Biden lacked the authority to mandate that all federal employees consent to vaccination against COVID-19 or lose their jobs. Talk about force. Talk about force. Judge said, the court notes at the outset that this case is not about whether folks should get vaccinated against COVID-19. The court believes they should. It's not even about the federal government's power exercised properly to mandate vaccination of its employees, Brown wrote is instead about whether the president can, with the stroke of a pen and without the input of Congress, require millions of federal employees to undergo a medical procedure as a condition of their employment. That, under the current state of the law, as just recently expressed by the Supreme Court, is a bridge too far, and I will stand by my conviction that I do not believe that government should be able to enforce through law medical procedures upon you. I stand by that. I'm sorry for defending your right to your bodily autonomy. Now, isn't it funny that the abortion argument, they've stopped saying my body, my choice, <laughs> because suddenly that runs against the whole vaccine thing, which is funny because abortion is not actually against your own body or with your own body. It's against another body. Unique DNA. Its own blood its own heartbeat. How many human beings do you know with two hearts? None. None. And if they do, man, they are a medical miracle. But human beings, as a condition, as a normalcy, do not have two hearts. So you can't say it's your body if you're acting upon another heartbeat. Get off my soapbox. So with the, the federal employees, the DOJ is most likely going to appeal this because they've got to, they've, they've got to defend the executive order. Biden had two executive orders regarding federal workers and federal contractors. So the workers order was just blocked. And last month, a judge in Georgia blocked the contractor one. Now, Something to note on this, which tells you this isn't really concerned about safety. This is concerned about force and compliance. Even full-time remote workers were not exempt from this mandate. You could be working from home full-time, never having contact with anybody else in the federal government outside of your phone or your computer, yet you have to get the vaccine. Tell me that's not compliance. That's not force. That's not not something other than a person's 
safety, quote unquote, which isn't it funny that the determination is always, are you safe? We need to, we need to help you be safe. We need to mitigate your risk for you. Let me deal with myself. This is also built off of the Supreme Court's ruling against OSHA last week. And this was also cited in the case by Brown. Uh, Brown, the judge, said, look, Supreme Court ruled against OSHA. They determined that OSHA can't do this. And he took it one step farther and said, no, federal workers, you can't mandate this. So we'll see what happens with the appeal. We'll, we'll follow this. We'll keep it going. Um, now, we're going to get into the next topic. You will say the voting rights bill is dead. Why are we going to talk about it? You can understand. I, I agree with you. It's dead. Why talk about it? But I think it's very important for you to see what was in this thing because it will come up at some point again. This was one of their attempts to try and shift how the elections for the midterms were going to go. And I was thinking about while I was reading through this, this would be the first step because all of this puts into place some really cool, convenient things for if they were able to do away with the Electoral College and get a truly popular vote. Now, right now, the Electoral College gives a defense or an obstacle to where some of these things wouldn't have as much influence on the national election as they would if they were truly popular vote. And I was thinking about that because everything in here helps maximize the effect of a popular vote and getting everybody who's possible voting. And if you got rid of the Electoral College, now all of a sudden that's not refined to the states. Because right now, California can implement some of this stuff, and there are provisions in there where it's not forced on the states, so Florida wouldn't have to implement some. But if you can do it by purely popular vote, then the states that want to do it, like California and New York, would truly maximize their popular vote, and that might wash out the sparsely populated Republican states. I see this as a move going down the rails. If they can get this step, then they'll get the Electoral College whisked away, and they'll be truly popular vote. And man, then they're off to the races. So let's start at the beginning with this, because this is the state of the politics, and this is why it's so important for you to get involved. Because this is the state of things, and we need people who are principled, they have conviction, and dang it, they're, they're following the Constitution. So in order to avoid a filibuster on the debate, they attached two massive voting bills to a NASA property leasing bill, because those... You know, um, I've, I've actually got a song for this. Croft, uh, let's, let's play this song for, for the beauty of this setup. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the other by the time I finish this song? I love it. 
because that song's going to be stuck in your head all day now. <laughs> Every time you see something about a voting bill, you're going to hear that song. <laughs> Why is it that we are attaching two massive voting bills to a NASA property leasing bill? Why? So they can get an end around. So they can get around a filibuster. Then there was another filibuster that they were trying to get rid of so they could have a simple majority vote on the voting bill. Now, thankfully, this was defeated. This was shot down. And we as conservatives do have Manchin and Cinema to thank. We don't have to agree with them completely, but man, there, there is a, a spot here for us to say thank you. Thank you for holding the line on this and, and going with principle of what you felt was right. And there's been plenty of times where I've seen Democrats kind of fall apart because of one or two people. And I'm very thankful for that. And this should give you hope that, okay, at least we stopped this. But the fight never ends. They will regroup and they will come back. I want you to be aware of what they're coming after you with and what they're trying to do. So I actually went through this bill. I didn't, I was not able to go through all of it. I did not have the time, but I picked out some things that I thought were interesting. And this entire act was written under the guise of that voting is, well, or lack of voting is, what's the word? What's the word? What do you think is the word? Racist. Because racism. It, it all blends back to racism. So it states Congress also finds that it has authority to legislate to eliminate racial discrimination in voting and the democratic process pursuant to both Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, which the 14th Amendment was right after the Civil War. It uh, restored voting rights to blacks or gave voting rights to blacks. Um, and the 14th Amendment also had the beautiful due process, which really destroyed everything. Uh, 14th Amendment, which grants equal protection of the laws, and Section 2 of the 15th Amendment, which explicitly bars denial or abridgment of the right to vote on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Congress finds that racial discrimination in access to voting and the political process persists. Okay. Voting restrictions, redistricting, and other electoral pra practices and processes continue to disproportionately impact communities of color in the U.S. Now, their points... I wanted to go through some of these. They said recent elections and studies have shown that minority communities wait longer in lines to vote. Okay, I'm going to peel that one apart a little bit for you. So the University of Michigan reports the average population density of the U.S. is 94 people per square mile. The average population density of metrop metropolitan statistical areas is 283 people per square mile. In New York City... The population density is 27,012 people per square mile. The reason for the longer lines is because there's more people at the voting centers. This is not racial discrimination. This is not a, a white supremacy agenda trying to hold down black votes. This is purely a logistics issue. But this is beautifully used as an example and an excuse of your voting system is still racist. Let's move forward. For all 81 major U.S. cities with populations above 250,000, the median for those communities in terms of, of demographic breakdown is 42.9% white residents, 57.1% minority residents. 
So in other words, whites are more likely to live in rural areas where you have a much lower person per square mile makeup. This is a logistics problem. This is a statistics problem. It is not a, a white supremacist agenda where white people are standing behind closed doors going, you know how we're going to end the black vote? Longer lines. That's it. We'll, we'll wait them out. They're more likely to have their mail-in ballots rejected. Now, I'd like to see the statistics on, on how they determine this to be the case. Um, but I would argue that is that because there is a, okay, this is, this is going to sound bad, but it's statistics. There is a lower graduation rate among minorities than among whites. Now, except for Asians, Asians have a much higher graduation rate than whites. But if you have a lower graduation rate, you may have a, a, Educational achievement that is lower as well. I'm not stating this in a, a condemnation of a person's character. I'm stating this in raw statistics. If you have people that have, have not done as well with doing schoolwork, with filling out forms, with, with staying on top of this type of stuff, they're more likely to make a mistake. Now, should we be able to have more help in helping them? Helping anybody fill out a ballot form? Sure. Or a registration form? Sure. Now, notice what this says. Mail ballots. Which, mail ballots is a whole nother issue on its own. Because this isn't just talking about absentee ballots. This is talking about all mail-in ballots, which, of course, we had in the most recent election. Freest, fairest, most secure election ever. Most popular president ever. 81 million votes. Versus 73 million. It's beautiful. America, you've won. Continue. They continue to face intimidation at the polls. I really argue about this one. I want to know the stats. I want to know where you get that information from. They're more likely to be disenfranchised by voter purges, which that's just really a replication of having their mail ballots rejected. Your, your forms filled out correctly? Do you have the information that you need on there? Did you sign it properly? That kind of thing. And disproportionately burdened by excessively onerous voter identification and other voter restrictions. My goodness, it's so onerous to have a driver's license. It's so difficult. So unbelievably racist for you to agree with 80% of blacks that a voter ID is a good idea for elections. It's, 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 it's insane to me. But this is what's going on. This set the whole premise for this entire idea. You were told over and over that the, the voting laws in red states are just, they're racist and they're trying to restrict the vote for minorities. Yet, States like Delaware have more restrictive votes than are blue in Biden's state. But this isn't all they're doing. This wasn't just the attempt. Congress finds that it further has the power to protect the right to vote from denial or abridgment on account of sex, age, or ability to pay a poll tax or other tax pursuant to the 19th, 24th, and 26th Amendments. Congress finds 
that electoral practices, including voting rights restoration conditions for people with convictions and other restrictions to the franchise burden voters on account of their ability to pay. In other words, felons. Um, so I think this uh, age thing is really interesting. It allows under 18 to vote if the state wishes. This is where I'm talking about if you can increase the population of voters, get rid of the electoral college, you have yourself set. It says a state may not refuse to treat an individual as an eligible individual for purposes of this section on the grounds that the individual is less than 18 years of age at the time an applicable agency receives information with respect to the individual, so long as the individual is at least 16 years of age at such time. Nothing in the previous sentence may be construed to require a state to permit an individual who is under 18 years of age at the time of an election for federal office to vote in the election. In other words, if you want, you can have those under 18 vote. No, what's that? You're given an opportunity for people that can't really make the best decisions for themselves. So, so what Croft is saying, I don't, I don't know if you can hear him. He's saying... You're, you're giving an opportunity to people who may not be able to make the best decisions for themselves. Now, this isn't the first time this has come up. Uh, this argument has come up, especially during the Vietnam War, that, hey, if you're 18 and you can die for your country, you can vote. And there was an interesting argument against this that I found. Now, you may agree with it or not, but this is an opinion. The argument was, look, the military requires obedience. Almost, we would say a blind obedience. Follow the orders, get the orders done. Voting requires in a independent, confident ability to create a decision on something, not just blind obedience. So the difference is serving in the military is we can mold you. The problem with voting is we can mold you. And so that was the argument that, that said, look, we can't go under 18. And I would argue, yes. If you think about it, the uh, person's brain is not fully formed until 25 years old. And especially, so the pre prefrontal cortex uh, involves itself with decision-making, judgment. Do you think that most 17-year-olds' prefrontal cortex is fully developed <laughs> <laughs> That's the part involved with judgment and decision making. <laughs> I know mine wasn't. I'm surprised I didn't uh, damage mine forever <laughs> with some of the decisions I made. But notice how uh, there's another quote that says, if you're not a liberal when you're young, then you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative when you get older, you have no brain. And I, I think it's a little bit true of there is an, a, a, a uh, short-sighted emotional connection to doing something for others and, and doing great things and getting swept up in the emotion of things that tends to level out the older you get. And there's a bit more rationality, logic that comes into play, seeing the bigger picture. That's probably the biggest problem you have with your teenagers. When you talk to your teenager, it's like, you're not seeing the complete picture on this, are you? You're not understanding the greater scope of these because the 16-year-old's going, but I just want to drive with my 16, my 16 friends and we're going to go to Atlanta and we're going to be there for a weekend and we're going to be down inner city with nobody with us. And that sounds like a great idea. 
And the adult is going, you don't see the full scope of this, do you? But if they can allow young teenagers to vote, they already have your school systems. How easy does it then become to go, oh, Johnny, you're 16. Sammy, you're 17. Well, here's how we think you should vote. You, you want to help those people, right? You want to help your schools. You want to, you want to do this. You want to do that. You want peace in the world. So just, you know, vote this way. The teachers unions, how many teachers unions are conservative? (laughs) None, none. There's a system being played here. This isn't all though. Uh, What I found interesting is illegals are not going to be on the hook for registering to vote. Now, you may think this is really minor, but I think this is an interesting caveat. An individual shall not be prosecuted under any federal or state law adversely affected in any civil adjudication concerning immigration status or naturalization or subject to an allegation in any legal proceeding that the individual is not a citizen of the United States on any of the following regards. The individual notified an election office of the individual's automatic registration to vote. Now, that's that's fine. If you're illegal, you're automatically registered. But you say, hey, I got automatically registered. Okay, understandable. Individual is not eligible to vote in elections for federal office, but was registered to vote due to individual or agency error. That's interesting. So even if the individual registers to vote or gets registered but gets caught, there's no recourse. The individual declined the opportunity to register to vote or did not make an affirmation of citizenship. That one's, that's understandable. But that middle one, I think that middle one is so important. You're off the hook. You're off the hook if you get caught. So then if a conservative state comes back and says, well, you are illegal, you registered to vote, you voted, there's an issue here protected. There will be online registration based on a signature on file. So you can register online, which one of the things I'm pointing out with this is notice how many gaps there are being created in getting a person to register to vote and be able to vote. It's all about creating the gaps. So where some people will see, well, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're putting more avenues in, in place for people to be able to vote. Yes, but there's not more protections except for the bare minimum because that would be considered making it onerous, which is racist. It includes, so what they're going to do is they're going to have you register, automatically register whenever you apply for some type of state federal thing. One of their main areas is the the secretary of state. Um. So one of the things that you can do what at the Secretary of State is get a driver's license. So you can go apply, right? You can go apply at one of these agencies, including getting your driver's license, but you shouldn't have to show that ID. So you can be there. You can get there. You can, you can get registered through there. But don't show that ID. You notice? The whole point of being the, under 18 the, to vote. R- right. 
So this also includes registration in housing voucher programs, residential mortgage loans, and federally backed multifamily mortgage loans. Okay, anywhere you apply for something, basically, hey, we'll register you to vote. And of course, one of the big ones, you can vote by mail. If an individual in a state is eligible to cast a vote in an election for federal office, the state may not impose any additional conditions or requirements on the eligibility of the individual to cast a vote in such election by absentee ballot by mail. Because mail-in ballots worked so well last election, let's keep doing it. It also prohibits requirement to provide notarization or witness signature as condition of obtaining or casting a ballot. In other words, we're not going to make you really, you know, confirm who you are with this ballot. It prohibits identification requirement as condition of obtaining or casting a ballot. Prohibiting faulty matching requirements for identifying information. It requires the use of drop boxes. It allows curbside voting. And on and on and on and on and on. Fun. What do you guys think of this? What's your thoughts? I think uh, there's something really important to pay attention to on this whole thing. It is very easy to cry foul and want to change the rules. And what you're witnessing in Congress over and over and over again is crying foul so we can change the rules. This is a complete twisting of how things should be. You set your principles, you set your foundation. And you go by those principles or foundations. You follow those. You stick to those. But do you notice what's happening with the filibuster? Now, it's a process of, well, this gets in our way for what we want to do. And what we want to do is, you know, important. So we got to just get rid of the filibuster. And then there will be complaints when the filibuster is done away with and the other side uses it to their advantage. There were complaints about all of that the last couple of times we had arguments about different filibusters. You complain when it's not your side doing it. Now, we at Self-Evident, we, we do our best to try and stand by conviction, foundation, and principle. Are we perfect? Probably not. But you will have heard us rail against things that even Republicans, conservatives did because we don't agree with them. Kind of like the whole executive orders thing. We were not happy that Trump was signing all these executive orders. Because we weren't happy when Obama was doing it. We're not happy when Bush was doing it. It didn't matter who it was. The use of it in the wrong way is wrong. But if your mindset isn't set on principle and foundation, but your mindset is on what do I get at this moment... What can I get? All of a sudden, you'll be willing to change the rules anytime you want in order to be able to get what you want. And I'm going to go on a rabbit trail for a second. This, this is one of the issues with the, the I'm a good person argument. A lot of times, usually as Christians, we'll get somebody who will come against you and say, yeah, but I don't need God to be a good person. 
to a certain degree or level. Yeah, sure. But what happens when all of a sudden your morals are pressed against and you find that it would be a real sacrifice in order to retain those morals or you compromise, you concede a little bit, you give in a little bit on that moral and you get what you want or get, get what you feel you need. The beauty of having the Lord over your life and the authority of your life is you, you are having, you're forced to reckon with the fact that if you compromise, God saw it. God's watching it. So then you have to decide, am I going to let God down? And am I going to open myself up to the consequences of compromising on these morals? Whereas if you do not place that proper authority over you, well, what does it really matter? I held these morals, but now it's not really a big deal if I compromise a little bit on this so that I can get what I want. Now, look at this in the political landscape. If we try to break rules or change the rules every time something isn't working out the way we want it, then we're just flying by the seat of our pants. And you'll notice this, this eating away of things. But we're so stuck in present day that we decide, well, this is really important to just kind of eat away again. Now, you may argue, yeah, but they were saying the same thing about the Civil Rights Act of 1964, completely different. What that was doing was restoring to us the original intent of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Those things were put in place as an ideal that we've been trying to work towards. But there becomes a point where, hey, we, we've set things up. People make this argument in terms of the feminist movement. Okay, you're level. Now you're just continuing to argue because it, you got nothing else. Like, when do you actually announce, hey, victory, we can, we can disband. We can be done with this. It never happens because there's plenty of activists and ideologues that will continue to push forward and, and they won't understand when they've crossed the finish line. And people, Al Sharpton will always come up with a reason to argue of why he's relevant. Man, I pray for the day where I'm not relevant anymore. I pray for the day where people say, look, dude, we've got all of it. That I can just... The hard part is I will never be able to step back because at some point rights and freedoms will be encroached upon because you have to always actively defend them. And I would say go on the offensive politically, metaphorically, figuratively. Um, I am not calling for revolution. <laughs> I think we have a lot of leeway. Uh, we, we've got a lot of ground that we can still take before that discussion is even ever had. Um, but I pray for that day where I can step back and say, man, I can take a break. I'm not making cash loads off of this thing. <laughs> this, this is not a money-making machine for us. This is a scrape and pull and press and make it type thing for us because it's a passion of love. But there is money and opportunity in activism. And the problem with that is there's money and opportunity in activism. So who will say, we made it, we're good. Did you know that before Obama, 
the majority of, of the U.S. thought race relations were, were decent. They, they were on the way up. They were doing good. And during Obama's president, presidency and then after, it eroded. It deteriorated. Why? Because every single day they heard how racist and evil and awful America is. I want you to, to think about this experiment or analogy. If you take a five-year-old kid and you tell them every single day they're stupid, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything, you're a horrible person, you're awful, you're a waste of space, why bother trying? Tell them that every single day from all the voices around them. What do you think they're going to believe? And so now for several generations, we've been telling entire groups of people, you're hated, you're oppressed, you'll never get ahead, the whole world's against you. This is a complete system that has been constructed hating you and purposefully trying to hold you down. What are you going to believe about the world? This is why the messaging is so important too. There's, there's a lady that I, I want you to check out named Star Parker. And her story is insane. She was breaking into cars, stealing cars, robbing people, all of that. And Atlanta moved out to California to try and, you know, resituate herself, was taught, actively taught how to use the system to survive, including get pregnant, carry it to a certain month, get it aborted on the state, and you'll continue to get the child paychecks for a certain amount of time. She had four or five abortions during this process. She had three businessmen sit her down and said, this ends now. You're going to learn how to be a person. And she was radically changed, saved by Christ. Died in the wool conservative. She went to, uh, what was it, North Carolina, did a speech in front of, front of a minority group. And they could not wrap their heads around the fact that she was saying you can do it. You can be responsible for yourself. There's nobody holding you back. You can do this. They argued with her. They told her she was wrong. They, they spouted out what has been pressed into them at the deeper levels of, you can do this, or actually you can't. We, we say you can do it, but actually you can't because the whole system's against you. Uh, let us fight this for you. And I've had this conversation with people and I get blank stares when I point this out to them because, it, well, the system's against them. So, you know, they, they need our help, blah, blah, blah. And I've, I've used that argument of what happens if you tell somebody they're stupid and awful day, day after day after day after day after day after day. At some point, they'll believe it. And so what you've done is you've conditioned them to decide that life is futile and they need your help. And... Darn it, this voting bill that they were trying to get through did the same exact thing. Oh, you're disproportionately held down and, and it's racism that's keeping you from being able to vote and just let us expand this. And if you want to look into some of the quotes from Lyndon B. Johnson about how he saw expanding um, welfare programs, assistance programs, and, and how he saw minority groups, you'd question motives. This is an issue that will continue to come up.
I, I tell people there's in marriage, there tends to be one or two arguments that tend to be a lifetime and it crops back up and crops back up. And this isn't a condemnation of, of marriage relations. It's just, there tends to be one or two issues that sooner or later you and your spouse come back to having an argument about racism and, and the concept of race in America is it's marriage argument. It'll carry for the lifetime of the nation. I pray that it ends, that the Lord heals it, that it goes from being a weakness to a strength of America. And no, I'm not about to spout diversity is our strength. Unification is our strength. A unification on beliefs and ideals. But the problem is you're getting different systems of beliefs and ideals and value systems spouted to different groups, which just continues the process of anger and hatred towards each other, divisiveness. It's tribalism. And uh, hopefully this year we are going to be getting a book out talking about this concept of tribalism, how dangerous it is. This fight will continue, and we have to win hearts and minds. We have to get involved, and it may not look like you just running for a political office. It may be you investing yourself into some groups or some areas that you're not normally investing into. What does it look like? Changing mindset, changing paradigm. What does it look like? So I want to get into life lesson because um, I, I love these. I wish Massey was here to do this one, but I'll get into this one a little bit because I, I think this is really cool. I was writing something the other day and talking about the the steps for success. And you have a long-term goal and then you set little steps. And, and it's actually a biological response that happens in terms of little steps you get a dopamine response when you achieve a goal. And there is a habit that's formed if you get dopamine response day after day to a, a result. And I was talking to my wife the other day, and I love this quote, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And if you're struggling with productivity, efficiency, you're struggling with self-worth in terms of getting things done, I want you to think about what would it mean if instead of looking just at that major big goal, but you start looking at, hey, what little tiny goals can I achieve today? What really easy things? It might be as simple as you sweeping the floor. And instead of looking past it and going, ah, well, you know, that's done, but I've got all this to do. Allow yourself to be proud that, hey, I took care of something here today. And so I was having this conversation with my wife, and she actually texted me last night. I was, I was over here with Massey setting up the, the studio. And she had texted me, and she said, you know, I, uh, that conversation really affected me. And I, you know, I want to set these little goals, and I want to achieve these little goals. And I think it's so important for us to recognize the beauty of achieving your little goals. And allowing yourself a little bit of like, hey, I did it. I can feel good about myself because I got this done. 
again, as simple as sweeping the floor, doing the dishes, making your bed, whatever it is, those little tiny routines, we tend to tell ourselves, yeah, but I didn't get this and this and this done. Do the little things. And if you set a larger goal, it's time for you to decide, okay, how do I make the steps to get there? So let's say you want to renovate your kitchen. Most of us would look at that and go, that's, that's a ton of work. I can't do that. That's so hard. But if you break it down into the steps and you achieve those steps day after day, sooner or later, your kitchen will be renovated. There are people who watch YouTube videos and are able to build a house. At this point, you can do pretty much anything watching YouTube videos. <laughs> but you take your time, you do your research. So maybe it's as simple as your first step is watching a couple of YouTube videos on how to properly do a demolition on your kitchen. What do you take out? What do you not? What wall do you hit? What wall do you not? How do you decide what wall you hit? What wall you don't? How do you dispose of the stuff? How do you clean up the mess? Once you get it all out, how do you plan? How do you organize? How do you budget? How do you, how do you go to the store and buy what you need? How do you get the loan in order to be, do the renovation? Now I'm listing a lot of steps, but you can do it. And the beauty is it's perpetual motion. Once you do the one step, you have perpetual motion to go and do the next step because it's like, oh, dopamine hit. I can do this. Maybe I'll make the next step. So I encourage all of you to try and think about what goals do I have for this year that seem really overwhelming? Stop looking at the overarching goal. Start looking at the next step, the one step. I love the Chinese proverb, a journey of a thousand miles start, starts with a single step. You have to make that your mantra. And the beauty is it's perpetual motion. You become more productive, more effective in everything you do because you see life as something of, I can make a thousand achievements, not one big achievement. I can do tens of thousands of achievements. And this aligns with something that I had talked to my young adults about, the little blessings. And maybe I've talked about this on the podcast, but what are your little blessings in life? And I had I had a time where I was standing in the kitchen. I was making breakfast for my son. And I was looking around. I was like, this is a peaceful time. This is a beautiful time. I've got, I've got my house. I'm feeding my son. I, things are good. This is a good moment. And I want you to have gratitude for every single little moment that you carry in life. Thank the Lord for each of those little moments. Maybe right now you're watching the podcast, you're sipping coffee. Thank the Lord. Don't think about the bills or the stress or that or this or whatever. Consolidate your focus on the single moment that the Lord has blessed you with. He's blessed you to listen to my voice, right? And what you'll notice is if you start gathering those little moments, those little blessings, those little gratitudes, you have 10,000 of those and you have five bad moments. You can start to outweigh the bad moments because you're so used to seeing the good things. You're so used to seeing the good moments. Now, I'm saying you, you ignore the bad things, but negative stimuli has a stronger effect on us biologically than positive stimuli. So you have to outweigh it with more positive stimuli. And so you focus on the positive, you focus on what's going right, you focus on what you've done, and you allow yourself to pat yourself on the back once in a while. 
you will become a more balanced human being, a happier human being. You will become more deeply content and satisfied. And the, the fleeting pleasures, the vices, the things that give you a dopamine response, but end up leaving, leaving you feel void, empty, those things don't have quite as big of a grip on you. And so I'm going to leave you with this. I want to see what you can do in terms of small steps. And post them here. Post for me. What are the small steps that you can do? Or what are the big goals that you're able to break down? What, let's, let's do it this way. Go ahead and post. What are the small steps that you accomplished today or yesterday? I had the day off yesterday. So you know what I did? I uh, finished up the replacing the screen door on my patio. I recycled the old screen door. I got the oil changed on the truck. You know what? I got some stuff done. What did you do? What stuff did you get done? Enjoy the fact you got some stuff done. And use that as motivation to move forward. So we're going to go ahead and end this. Guys, thank you so much for watching, for listening. Thank you for being a part of Self-Evident. We, uh, we've got more in store for you this year. We've got a ton and so be paying attention to what we roll out because it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. It's going to teach you something. So until next week, guys, I love you. Have a great week.